Second Chronicles chapter 5. Tonight I want to talk to you from the heart about when God steps through the veil. I want to talk to you about the presence of God tonight. Now you understand that the Bible talks often about the presence of God and it, it's two different things. It refers to two different things. Just let me lay a little groundwork here to start with. You have what's called the omnipresence of God, uh, which you can read Psalm 139. Sometimes you want to see this. God is everywhere. That he, he's, he is, there's no place in the universe you can go that he's not at. You understand that? That's why Psalm 139 says, where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from the presence of the Lord? If I make my bed in the heavens, you are there. If I dwell in the deepest hell, even there your hand will be upon me. There's no place you can go he's not at. Do you understand that? That's called his omnipresence. But there's a different presence in the Bible that it speaks about. And that's called his manifest presence. His manifest presence. And that's when he steps through the veil and you know he's there. He, he reveals himself to you. And I want to look at a couple of places in scripture. A couple of one. Number one is in Second Corinthians, excuse me, Second Chronicles 5. Uh, the Spirit of God put it on a man named Solomon. He was king, said, I want you to build me a house. His father David wanted to, but the Spirit of God came and said, no, I don't want you to do it. I want your son to do it. So they built this beautiful temple. It's the most ornate building in the world by the time they were done. It's called Solomon's Temple. Uh, they built this temple. Second Chronicles 5 is the dedication. And they're having this tremendous service. They made sacrifices. And I want you to look at what happened during the dedication service. Second Chronicles 5, about verse 12. Uh, they're on into the service. And the Levites, who were the singers, and those of Asap, Haman, and Jejuthun, with their sons and their brethren, stood at the east end of the altar, clothed in white linen, having cymbals, stringed instruments, harps, and with them 120 priests sounding trumpets. So they had 120 trumpets in this, the band we'd call it. Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one or unified to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. They lifted their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord. And here was their song saying, he is good for his mercy endures forever. When they did that, that the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not continue ministering because of that cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. All right, what happened there, God is everywhere. But in that moment when they got in unity and they began to worship him and praise him, all of a sudden his manifest presence, in other words, he came down into the building and his presence was so powerful and so pronounced they couldn't continue with the service. Nobody could speak. They couldn't play their instruments anymore. The preachers, the ministers couldn't minister. Everybody just, they were just gripped by the manifest presence of God. In other words, he stepped through the veil and you didn't, you, nobody had to ask, is God in this place? Everybody knew it. You understand the difference between his omnipresence, he's everywhere, but, but the manifest presence of God is when he, he steps through the veil and he reveals himself to you and you know he, he, that's him. I, that's it's called his presence, called the presence of God. And uh, we see this all through the Bible. We won't take time to look at it. Uh, that's the Old Testament. Let me quote, I'll just quote one in the New Testament. You'll look it up. Acts chapter two, he told his, had 120 followers right before Jesus was crucified. He was resurrected. He was fixing to go back to heaven. 120 followers. He told them, don't do anything yet. You go to this little small room upstairs and you wait. He told him in Matthew 28, go into all the world. Uh, Acts 1, 8, Acts 1, 4, he said, but wait and you wait on me. And so the Bible said they went, it said they were in unity with each other in one accord and they were praying. And all of a sudden at a set time, a presence came into the room and it sounded, it was the sound of a rushing wind and that wind filled the house. And it was where God stepped through the veil and he visited the people and everybody knew it was him and it had such an effect on the people. They didn't be, they weren't taught to do this or they didn't have programs. God's presence just changed everything. That's the manifest presence of God. It was very powerful. If you've read Acts chapter two, you know what happened there. All right, the question is, all through the Bible, you see where God has these special encounters with people. You remember a man named Moses, a convict, a felon running. And all of a sudden, one day as an 80-year-old, he had an encounter with God in the desert at a burning bush. And it was very powerful and it changed him. A man named Jacob was in deep trouble. 
And he got up to pray one night and he went to pray, but in his prayer, God came to him and he had an encounter with God right there. And it changed him for the rest of his life. All through the Bible, you see these encounters with God, Joshua. People had these meetings with God where it wasn't like I'm believing that he's there. They, you knew he was there. You, you, they were overwhelmed with his presence. Now the question is, is that still for today or was that just Bible times? Can we experience the presence of God today? All right, let, let's learn this in scripture because a lot of people say you can't. Turn with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. I don't ever want you to believe anything. Dearest, we're in days of such deception. If you can't see it in the Bible, don't believe it. And everybody that tells you anything, they need to be able to show you and not just some twist some weird verse or tw excuse me, twist some verse weirdly. They need to be able to show you clearly in the Bible. Jesus said, this is scriptural. But John chapter 14 is where Jesus is fixing to leave. He said, you've had my presence, but I'm leaving. And watch what he promised. In John 14, 19, he said, a little while longer, the world will see me no more. Physically, I'm not going to be in the earth anymore. But you will see me because I'll live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I'm in the Father and you in me, and you'll know I'm in you. I'm in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. Watch these words. I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus said, now I'm leaving the earth physically. And the, the people of this world will see me no more. But if you will love me and follow me, I will visit you. I will manifest myself. I, I'm not talking about you'll know who I am or you'll know the verses. You'll know that's me right there. Manifest means I'll reveal myself to you. And you'll know that it's me. Uh, I don't think this is for back then. I think this is for today. Matter of fact, it may look a bit later. Uh, we looked last week in 1 Corinthians 14 at prophecy. All right, let me quote to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It says, when the whole church comes together, I want you to listen to this. When the whole church comes together and my spirit is present, if an unbeliever, an un a non-Christian comes into the church, when the church is together, he, the secrets of his heart will be exposed immediately. He will fall on his face and he will say, God is in this place. He said, Brother Brian, I've never seen anything like that before. Well, I think it's high time we start seeing it. That's not back then. First, you understand the Old Testament is the Old Covenant. The four Gospels is when Jesus walked on the earth. The book of Acts is the New Testament church. But from the book of Acts this way is the epistles. That's us. It's the church of today. And he said in 1 Corinthians 14, if, my, if the church would walk with me, my presence would so be in the church that if, a, if, a, if a, somebody doesn't even believe in God walked in the building, they would fall down and their hearts would be ripped open, exposed, and they would say, God is in this place. Well, that's not talking about the, um, that's talking about he, I feel him in here. You, know, you should feel God in church. When, the, when things are right, you should feel the presence of God in church. That's called the manifest presence of God where he's promised. Now, let me tell you something about now. I'm talking about you personally. God has promised his manifest presence to you as an individual. Now, I've been married every moment of my life for over 40 years, but there've been times when I've been away from my wife. Do you understand what I'm saying there? I've always been married, but there's times I'm not in her presence. Well, I want to be with her. I want to be in her presence. You understand the difference between being married to somebody all the time, but not being in their presence? I've been a Christian every day of my life since 1975. But we, want, we don't want to just be related to God. We want to be in the presence of God. We want to be where he is. We want to be touched by God. And he's promised that for every believer. I'll give you one of the great verses where he promised that. Psalm 100 verse 2. Come before my presence. How could he make it any plainer? Come before my presence singing. You should be able to do something to where you can literally draw and you know, I just drew close to God and I can feel him. I come before my presence. And many times it speaks of the presence of God. When the Bible said in the book of James, draw close to God and God will draw close to you. That's not like I'm doing better. That is, I, just, he, I felt he, he just came here. You can literally, of course you initiate it, you go first. You draw close to God, he'll draw close to you. But we should be able to do that. Uh, let me, uh, I want you to just listen to me for a minute. Let me, from scripture, let me put something out here and maybe you've never seen it before. There's nothing greater than the presence of God. There's no greater human experience than to experience the presence of God. Now, please don't confuse it with going to church. Church can be a little dull. Religious things can be dull. 
but there's no greater experience for any human being than to experience the presence of God. Now, let me tell you why. There's two reasons. Number one, it's your heart's greatest desire. It's not your flesh's desire, but you have a heart inside of you. You, you, have a, you are a spirit. You've got a heart inside of here and your heart longs for something. Tell me what your heart longs for. To be touched, manifest by God or the spirit of God. I want you to turn with me to Psalm 42. We're going to look at two Psalms. And both of these are Psalms of men who knew what it was to live in the presence of God, but they lost it. And the presence of God had left them. And uh, I want you to see something in the Bible and I want you to, I want you to believe what God says. Because I spent years in my life looking for the wrong stuff. How many, I don't, I don't ever get ill with people because of what they're doing. Everybody's looking for something. The human heart longs for something. You've heard the old song, looking for love in all the wrong places. People are looking for happiness. They're looking for contentment. They're looking for satisfaction. People don't even know what they're looking for because they don't know their hearts. They think if I could just get rich, if I could get famous, if I could get that woman, if I could, I would find what I'm looking for. But we're, we're, uh, we're the most dissatisfied generation. We've never had more stuff. We've never had more success, but something down inside and here, like the old Carly Simon song is singing, is that all there is? You know, the great prophet of the seventies, Mick Jagger, who could never get no satisfaction. God of mercy. What, what else is there to try? What have, you, what have you not done, Mick? And I watched him in an interview at 72 years old and he said, I, it's just not, it's all vanity. He got everything everybody thought would bring them happiness and at 72 he said, I missed it. Well, he never found the one thing his heart was looking for. Who created his heart? The living God created his heart and the only one that can satisfy your heart is the one who created it. I want to, you want to learn what the greatest truths of your life in Psalm 42 where the Bible says this. As the deer pants for water, the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. You tell me what you want. You don't want to hear about God. You don't want to go to church. You don't want any more rules. You want to experience the living God. That's the manifest presence of God. You want him to draw close to you. As, as uh, I don't know if you've ever hunted or not, but I'll hunt. I, I hunt very little now, and I'm certainly not going to shoot anything because then I'd have to spend all night field dressing it. And I'm just rich enough now I can afford chicken. I ain't shot nothing in years. But I do love to just sit in the woods and I'll watch deer if they're thirsty and I'll watch them. Not, the last time I went, I watched them just stop right down in front of me, just stopped and just went. And it was just panting. It was looking for the creek. It was headed toward the creek. As a deer longs for water, the heart inside of you longs for the living God. It's just that you were created. He created your heart to long for him. And the only thing that can really satisfy your heart is the presence of God. All right, I want you to watch this, uh, what he says here. Verse two, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Watch what he says. When shall I come and appear before God? What's he saying? When do I get to experience your presence? My heart aches for you. When am I going to get to come close to you? All right, Uh, my tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, where is God? Where's your God? Can you see that this man had experienced God? He'd experienced the sweet presence of God. He'd experienced the touch of God. And now for some reason, God's presence wasn't there anymore. And he's my tears. I'm, I'm weeping. And this voice is saying, where is he? Where's the presence of God? He was probably, he might've still been a child of God or might still love God, but he'd, he'd lost the presence of God. When I remember these things, verse where I pour out my soul within me, I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, a multitude that kept it. What do he say? I can remember years ago when God's presence was in my church. And I can remember going and I can remember the joy of God being in the house. Well, see, I remember these things. And he's looking back on days when the presence of God was so real to him and the joy that it brought him to be in the presence of God and to stay there. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in a church where the presence of God was very strong. Some people call it revival. That may not be the biblical phrase for it. I don't care what you call it. We need it. But I was saved when I met, first met Jesus. I was saved in revival and it gripped people's lives. And I've, I've been in church. I told somebody once about uh, people talking about church going too long. Well, if God's not in it, five minutes is too long. I was telling you about one night we had a series of meetings and God was moving so great. His presence was so strong in the church. 
I think it was, and it just got better and better every night. Just like you just walked in the room, it's like he's just there and packed out and it was just wonderful. And I remember one night it was, I looked at my watch, it was 10.30. We'd start at seven o'clock. It was 10.30. And there was no organization. You didn't have like, now's the singing and now's the preaching. Like we just flowed with the spirit. And it was so powerful. And I looked at watches, 10.30. And a lot of these folks worked in furniture mills. They needed to be at work at six o'clock, seven o'clock. And I said, I want them to get rest. So I stood up and, and I walked, the panda guy was playing. We we're just singing. I said, folks, God's been so good tonight. Look at the wonderful things that have happened. Can I tell you one of the things? I'm, I'm getting out of order here. That, that's okay. I can remember clearly that night, the spirit of God moved so strong to save people. And I remember uh, a friend of mine was there helping me. And the invitation was given and people just came down to get saved. And there was a little boy, he was right there, 10 years old. And his father was in, the little boy was just weeping. And his father was crying. And my friend was playing the piano, he took the microphone and he said, uh, he said, son, said, tell me what's going on. And said, the boy just stared at him. And his father said, he can't hear you. He said, he's deaf. And he said, so, my, he said, so you signed the message to him. He said, no, it's too crowded. He hadn't heard a thing in here tonight. He didn't hear a note of music. He didn't hear a word spoken. He said, well, ask him, why is he coming down here if he hadn't heard anything? And the father t- signed to the little boy. And the little boy signed back and he said, I'm hearing God in my heart. And it just the presence of God was so in the room. Things were just happening. Okay, at 1030, I stood up. I said, folks, we, we had to get some rest. Y'all got to go to work tomorrow. I said, let's go home and uh, you get some rest. We're going to come back tomorrow night and we'll do it all over again tomorrow night. I got the word night out of my mouth. Somebody over here said, can we sing? And they named a song. And as soon as they named that song, the piano player hit it and they took off again. <laughs> Three and a half hours in church. You, I'm asking the people to leave. They wouldn't do it. He said, I sit in no church no three and a half hours. Neither am I if he's not there. It was the presence of God is what every heart longs for. And that, that's just, I, just, just an example. But the Bible talks about his presence and his promise. There's nothing greater. Psalm 42, again, as a fellow, he remembers back when God was close to him. Read with me. Verse five, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? What do those two things mean? Cast down means discouraged or heavy. Disquieted means dissatisfied. Why am I so dissatisfied? Why is my life so bland? What's he saying? Why, why, is my, why am I like this on the inside? And then watch what he said. Hope in God. I will praise him for the help of his what? Countenance. Countenance means his presence. This is a man that knew God, but he lost the presence of God and his life became very flat and he was very dissatisfied. But look what he said. This is, a, this is a word of faith when he said, hang on, I'm going to put my hope in God. I will know his presence again. I'll experience God again. He'll come close to me again. Uh, one of the greatest descriptions, verse six, oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you. Now when he says, remember you. He's not talking about that he is God. I will remember what it was like when you were close to me. I'll remember your presence from the land of Jordan to the heights of Hermon, the hill miser. I watch, I want you to look with me in verse uh, seven. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows are gone over me. Deep calls unto deep is a Hebrew phrase that means your spirit is touching my spirit. The deep spirit of God is touching the very depths of my spirit. And I want you to look what he described it like when God came close to him. How did he describe it? He described it as two things, a waterfall going over him and waves coming over him. I remember reading the biography of Charles G. Finney, the most powerful man ever in America. America. And Charles Finney said, I I believed in Christ, but I was powerless. And I began to seek God for his presence. And he said, I remember that God gave me such a baptism of the Holy Spirit. He said, the only way I can describe it is it was like I was standing under a waterfall of pure liquid love. And he said, God's spirit just poured down on me. And it was like the love of God just poured down on me like a waterfall. I remember D.L. Moody saying, uh, when he was the preacher at the Moody Church in Chicago, and he said, I, I wanted God so bad. I needed the touch of God on my life. And he said, I remember I was praying for, for the presence of God to come strongly to me. And he said, I remember the day that God visited me. And he said this, it was like standing in the ocean and wave after wave just flowed over me. And the waves were just the love of God just flowing over me. Well, see... Even in 1,800 years ago, it was written, I remember when your presence was that strong, when your love just flowed over me. 
And uh, it goes on to say this. The Lord will, verse 8, command his loving kindness in the daytime and the night his song will be with me. Verse 9, I will say to my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemies? It's like my bones are broken and my enemies say, where is your God? Now listen, he was still a child of God, but what, what happened to him? He lost the presence of God. Do this, can you be a child of God and lose the presence of God? Turn with me to the famous a uh, couple pages to the right. Psalm, well, let's read, read verse 11 one more time. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you so dissatisfied inside of me? You know why a lot of people are dissatisfied? Because of the absence of God's presence. I don't care what kind of job you get. I don't care how much money you get. I don't care how religious you become. I don't care. Your heart longs for the presence of God. And your heart will never find fulfillment and contentment until his presence draws close. And he, he's talking to himself. He said, why, why am I so empty on the inside? Why am I so disquieted? And he said this, I shall praise him. Hope in God, I shall praise him for the help of his countenance or presence. This is a man waiting on the presence of God to come back to him. I want you to turn a few pages to the right, Psalm 51. You, you know what this is. This is the man who walked closer to God than maybe any man in history, King David. And he, he got to know God personally as a shepherd boy out on the hillside. He just, he just learned how to walk with God. He learned the presence of God. And uh, of course, God blessed him. He did all those great feats. You know, he defeated Goliath. He became king, but he made a great mistake. He let his lower nature take over one day as a great man. And he stole a man's wife. And then he, this horrible, horrible scheme to take one of his favorite warriors and set him up so he'd be killed so he could steal his wife. One of the most awful schemes, not in the Bible, but in world history. And of course, he was still a child of God, but what did that do? That took the presence of God away from him. And for one year, he was far from God. He didn't hear his voice. He didn't know his presence. And finally, one day, uh, uh, an old preacher named Nathan came to see him and said, I need to bring a matter before the king. He said, what is it? He said, there was a very rich man a very poor man lived in your city and he had one little lamb and he loved that lamb. It slept with him. It ate from his bowl. And there was a very rich man who had a visitor came and he went down and he stole that man's lamb and killed it and fed it to his neighbor. And David was furious. He said, the man that did this deserves to die and he's going to pay back four times. And then Nathan looked at him and he said, I'm talking about you. Thou art the man. And then he spoke the voice of God and said, did I not give you everything you asked for? And then you went and stole that man's wife and killed him. And of course, David, then it was out. Of course, everybody knew it was out then. And, was, and to show you what he was like, his heart was so broken. When everybody dismissed, he went into the temple of God by himself and laid on his face and he prayed the prayer, which is Psalm 51. And this is the prayer he prayed. Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your tender mercies. According to the multitude of your kindness, blot out my sins. Wash me thoroughly. So he's acknowledging his sin and he just comes clean. He doesn't make excuses. All right. Look at me in verse seven. Purge me with hyssop. I'll be clean. Wash me. I'll be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you've broken may rejoice again. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with your generous spirit. What do he say? I have sinned. And I've done this wrong in your sight. And my sin have cost me the presence of God. And he said, I want you to forgive me my sins. And I want you to bring back the joy of your salvation. I want your presence back in my life again. And of course, he went on to teach us a great lesson in Psalm 51. <laughs> Verse 13 then I will teach transgressors your ways. Sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from my guilt, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. You open my lips. I'll show forth your praise. What do you teach? The reason I don't want to talk to anybody about Jesus is because you're not close to me anymore. The reason I sing so pitifully is because your, your presence is not with me anymore. But if you'll forgive me and bring your presence back, I won't be able to stop telling people about you. And I'll sing like I've never sung before. So the presence of God was, we're not talking about I'm a good person. You can be good and not know God. But this was the presence of God that he'd lost in his life. 
Dear ones, here's the point. What do you see in these two passages and all through the Bible? The heart's desire, the human heart's desire is the presence of God. All right, the Bible said this. I want you to, I want you to listen to what the Bible said. This is 1 John chapter 2. Love not the world, neither the things in the world, because if any man loves the world, the love of the Father's not in him. Now, I don't need to, and, and then it mentions the lust, love the world, lust of eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. And it says, it doesn't say, oh, I can't, oh, it's bad, I don't do that stuff. No, 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 you missed it. That sounds like fundamental religion. He said, if you love the world, the love of the Father's not in you. The presence of God is gone if that stuff attracts you. Do you understand that? If this stuff is attractive to you, it's because God is gone. Right, let, me, let me paint you a picture. My wife is a tremendous cook. You come to my house, you eat Thanksgiving dinner with us. You, you probably have Thanksgiving dinners like this. And you feast until you're in pain. And then you go out the door and here's a nasty beggar. He's got a stale saltine cracker in his hand. And he says, I'll share it with you. Do you want that cracker? No. Why do you not want that cracker? Because it's, you shouldn't? Or because you just got done eating Thanksgiving dinner? Dear ones, when, when, you're, when you have the love of the Father, the presence of God in you, what this world's got to offer looks like dog food. That's why it says don't, don't love the world. If the, any man loves the world, it's because God's gone. You don't think God can top what the devil's got to offer? You don't think the presence of God is better than the devil's dog food? When I see Christians ache for the devil's dog food, I don't get ugly with them. I just think God's gone. You've lost the spirit of God. One of the ways I know that I've gotten a little distance between me and God is Satan's stuff starts looking attractive. It looks like junk when he's close. I mean, do you understand what he's saying there? We beat people up because they're eating dog food. No, no. If any man's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Why do you spend your money for that which does not satisfy? Come without money, without price. Buy wine and milk and bread and eat freely. That's the presence of God. It's to experience God. The human heart wants God, desires God so bad. The second reason why that it's the greatest need it's his presence that causes everything good to happen. Dude, without the presence of God, nothing good's going to happen. Jesus said, abide in me, fruit will be there. You don't abide in me, you dry up. We can't, we're trying to do with our teaching and our programs and our stuff what only God can do with his presence. All right, let me take you back and show this, just show it to you. A pitiful band of people led by a man named Simon. Simon had just got done denying Jesus and cussing him out a few days earlier. And Jesus said to him, wait, just wait. Don't do anything until something happens. They waited in that upper room. The presence of God came. They didn't, nobody took a witness in class. They didn't have any, they didn't have a building. They didn't have no musicians. They didn't have training. They didn't have nothing except what? God. They had the presence of God. He came in that room and filled them and they turned that world upside down. And then if you'll read at the latter part of that chapter, it says they lived the word of God. They continued steadfastly in the apostles teaching. They loved each other so much that if your child needed an operation, they would sell their house to pay for your child's operation. They ate their food together daily with such joy and gladness. They praised God constantly and, and the people were begging to get in on what they had. No training, no education, no building, no nothing. All they had was God. It was the presence of God is what makes great things happen. It, it, we're trying to train people to do what only God should be able to do in them. We've replaced the Holy Spirit with programs and fancy buildings and disco lights and refined music and excellent preachers. We don't need any more anything except just the touch of God, the presence of God. And that all through the Bible, had no, you know, Peter and John said, said silver and gold. We didn't have any pocket change, son. We had no money. I've heard people brag about, well, we don't have to say that anymore. I just, that makes me want to puke. I'll trade the money for the presence of God. Well, yeah, no longer can we say rise and walk either. I forgot to throw that in. I'm going to give you five things that come when the presence of God comes to a person's life. Number one, joy. Psalm 1611, in his presence is fullness of joy. Acts chapter 13, verse 42, and the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit and joy. Where the presence of God is, there's great joy. It's just, it's just there. I read this week, there's a little girl got saved two weeks ago. 
What's her name? She's on them Hallmark movies. My wife likes to watch Rodeo and Gunsmoke. I like to watch Hallmark movies. And there's, that's all we watch is Hallmark and Gunsmoke. And there's a little girl, her name is McKenna, maybe. She's one of the constant actors on Hallmark. And I, heard a, I read our article today. She said, I was raised around a church and they're all hypocrites. I wanted nothing to do with God. And she said, all of a sudden, a friend of mine, her name is Candace Bure, gave me a Bible and started praying for me. And she said, all of a sudden, two weeks ago, something hit me. And she said, I can't explain it. I can't tell you what's going on. But she said, God's as real to me as the man I'm married to now. And I've never had such joy and happiness in my life. Well, nobody taught her anything. God just showed up, which we need to get back to less teaching and more God show up, I think. Number one, joy. Number two, in his presence is fullness of peace. Wherever God is, there's peace. And we need peace in the earth, but I need it in my heart. Number three, wherever the spirit of God is, there's deep repentance. Deep repentance. Now, Acts chapter three, the Bible said that when the spirit of God came, the people that were hating them before, it said they were cut in heart and said, what do we have to do to make this right? How many times have I seen hard-hearted people in churches? They're just hard-hearted. They, they don't cuss and they don't smoke, but they'll stab you in the back in a heartbeat. And I've seen God's presence come in a room and I've watched them get on their knees and weep so sorry for what they've done to people. Well, you, didn't, I, you don't have to preach to them. God does it. When God's presence comes, there's just repentance. And people, you don't have to fuss at people. God does it. I mean, he don't fuss. He just changes people. Number four, unity. What's everybody screaming about today? The need for us to come together. We've never been more divided. We've never been further apart. We've never been more hateful to each other. And let me make an announcement. All this dialoguing we're doing today, it's just making it worse. The, only the presence of God can cause things to happen. That's why it's dumb to have a meeting to try to work things out. Get on your knees and pray till something happens. I, had a, I used to be a youth pastor. That's why I get to pastor now. God's so good to me because I was a youth pastor once. And I remember I had two girls in my group. They hated each other. There was a cat fight mess going on. And I'm thinking I should have been a highway patrolman. <laughs> and I just tolerated their mess and tried to keep them in separate groups so they wouldn't kill each other in the church youth group. Praise God. We had a fire, camp fire one night. We were out there and, and the spirit of God just came so strong around that campfire. And I watched both of them start sobbing and run to each other and ask forgiveness and hug each other and became best friends. Nobody lectured them. The Spirit of God came. And when God came, I've seen men that were just so hateful to their wives get on their knees and beg their wives to forgive them. Nobody, they didn't go through a men's conference. God came. Just the presence of God. Wherever the presence of God is, there's, there's unity. Listen to what Jesus said in John 17. I've given them my glory, my presence, that they might be one. Us trying to get along with each other is not working out. How about the glory of God come back into people's lives and cause things? Let me give you one more. Great strength is wherever God's spirit is. Uh, the great picture, 1 Kings 19, 18, 19, where it said, the spirit of the Lord came upon Elijah and he outran the fastest chariot in Israel all the way back to Jezreel. He raced the king for 23 miles, outran him on foot. Now that's a physical picture of the strength God gives. You've heard this before. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. That's the presence of God. You don't learn something. God comes. Just in his presence, there's a strengthening. We desperately, desperately need that strengthening. Now, I've said, I said this. The great desire of the human heart is God. Anytime I meet somebody and they're, they're out, out in left field, they're crazy, they're wild. I, I'm not mad at them. I just want to say, you don't even know what you're looking for. You're looking for God, but you don't know it. Uh, blinded. But let me say this. I maybe think God has desires. I maybe think God has one great desire. What's well, his great desire? His great desire is your presence. His great desire is you. I mean, what's, why would he create the universe? <laughs> why would he put us in it? His great desire is you. All right. Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve broke relationship with God and sinned. And verse eight said they heard the they heard the presence of God, heard him walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and Eve ran and hid from the presence of the Lord. What's verse nine say? And God said, where are you? 
How many of you know the creator of the universe don't need to know anything? He wasn't asking where they were hiding at. He was saying to them, why will you not come meet with me anymore? You're still my children, but why do you not want to be close? Why will you not be close to me? Of course, the sin had driven them away and he made it right. Let me ask you this. What does it mean in Revelation chapter three, verse 20? Listen to what the Holy Spirit says. I stand at the door and knock. If you'll open the door, I'll come in. And that was written to the church, not pagans. God told his church, I want to come close to you. I'm knocking on the door. I want to get close to you. I want to come in and visit with you. It's a great desire of God. Let me, uh, let me wrap up by saying this. Um, I, I, one of the greatest things you can ever learn is what you really want. I've asked people, what, what are you looking for? And the, after a while, they finally say, I don't know. There was, how can you find it if you don't know what you're looking for? How many people I heard tell me, I thought this would make me happy. And guess what happened? I thought if I could get this man, surprise, I thought if I could get this job, I thought if I could, how long are we going to stay on this merry-go-round of I thought? When are we going to find what we're looking for? Well, I had to find what I was looking for. I thought it was religion and religious activity and being a preacher. God have mercy. The human heart don't want that. Listen to this, Psalm 106, 15. God gave them what they wanted, but their hearts were empty. God gave them what they demanded, but they found out their hearts were still empty. He'll let you have what you want, but it won't satisfy your soul. All right, you got to find out what you want. Again, I think the, the desire of every human heart, Psalm 42 is, I just want God's presence. I want God to touch me. I want to be, I want to feel the presence of God. People say you shouldn't use the word feel. Listen to me. Listen to me. I want to feel God. You can call it what you say, well, Brother Brian, it should, it should be experience. You call it what you want to. I want to feel God come close to me. That's the longing of my heart is to feel God. All right, I had to find that out. But now listen to me. Let me help you here. I had to learn how to experience him and I had to learn how to host his presence to experience him. We got to talk about this. I got to help you. God's knocking on the door of your life. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Learn how to open the door and let me come in. You got to learn how to host the presence of God if you're going to experience it. This is so simple. Listen to me. I've been to eat, you know, my line of work, you get invited to eat sometimes. And through the years, I've been to eat in a lot of different homes. And um, if, if, if you're going to, you know what it means to host somebody? The, the Bible said, I stand at the door and knock, open the door and let me come in and I'll visit with you. Well, you, you got to treat the Holy Spirit of God a certain way for him to draw close to you. Do you understand that? All right, if I go to your house and you invite me for dinner and I go and take my sweetheart and uh, we get there at six o'clock and I go in. Now, I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings, but I'm old. I can do what I want to now. And I go in and there's some profane music blaring on the radio, blaring loud, you know, Ozzy Osbourne or God forbid some rap mess, F this and F that. And the TV's blaring and somebody's having sex with somebody that I'm married to. And the people living in that house are hating each other and cutting each other and fighting with each other. And I look over on the table and we're having possum and tequila. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to be ugly. I'm not going to put you down. If you want to live like that, it's your life, doc. I'm not going to be unkind, but I'm leaving. And I'm not coming back. Are you, are you, I'm over your head here. You got to treat me a certain way if I'm going to stay there. All right. That's why the Bible says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. He'll leave. But if I come to your house and I go in and there's, there's a quiet music in the background, maybe you know, Bethel or Hillsong or Maverick City and there's nothing, the TV's off and you treat me like I'm the most important person you've ever been around and you treat me with honor and you tell me how much you appreciate me and you love me and y'all are treating each other with honor and respect and I look around the table and there's pinto beans and cornbread. I mean, the kind, not that whoppa whoppa out of a mixed stuff. I'm talking in a skillet, an iron skillet cornbread. You know what I'm talking, well, you young girls don't know what I'm talking about. You'll have to call the sheriff, get me out of there. And I'm coming back too. Do you understand that? You, the way you treat people determines whether they'll be there or not. That's why the Bible said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He's standing at the door and knocking. I'd learn how to host the Holy Spirit of God. I'd learn what, I'd learn what draws him. I'd learn how to act when he got there so I didn't run him off. You have to, you have to learn. You, you have to enter his gates. 
You have to come before his presence. We desperately need to learn how to walk with God again in this generation. And I'll just say this. He don't do no three-minute stuff. It takes time to have a relationship. Do you know that? You give your wife five minutes a day, you don't have much of marriage. Uh, one of my associate pastors in my last church came to me and said, look, man, we're going to do this in our church. And he had this devotional thing. It was called Seven Minutes with God. And he said, this, this helps folks get started. I said, not in my church, we're not. I said, you give Facebook an hour and a half. You eat for two hours a day. You give TV three hours. And you're going to give God your leftovers? I said, we're not doing a seven minutes with God in this church. So that's stuff in the garbage. It offended me and it offended the Holy Spirit. What, when, did, when does the Almighty get my leftovers? If I treated my wife like some people treated the Holy Spirit of God, she'd have left me. You've got to treat him good. To have a friend, he who have a friend, listen to this, he who would have a friend must show himself friendly. If you want a fellowship with God, you've got to treat him a certain way, just like you would a person. All right, let me, uh, let me quit. Why Christians and churches, why are Christians like they are today? I'm not going to be unkind, but you know good and well, Christianity is in pitiful shape today. You know our churches are powerless today. They're emptying out. People are not coming. And our Christians are pitiful today. Mr. Barnett tells us there is no difference between Christians and non-Christians in their, their weekly behavior. I just read a new Barnett poll on high school teenagers in America. Christian teenagers are just as likely as non-Christian teenagers to tell a lie, cheat on a test, and have sex where they get married. There's no difference between Christians and non-Christians in America today. I'm not being unkind. Why is it like that? Listen, you say it's because they don't love God. Wait, wait, you know what it is? It is the absence of God's presence. Jesus said, I, on this rock, I'll build my church. Listen to what Jesus said. Unless the Lord builds the house, you labor in vain. All these fancy things we've got today, we've never had more programs, we've never had better music, we've never had more gifted preachers. Why is the church in the shape it's in? Because we do not have the presence of God in the church. Like this, this isn't rocket science, read your Bible. Why are churches in the mess? We've never had more study, we've never had less presence. Nothing can do what the presence of God can do in a person's life. Nothing can do what the presence of God can do in a home. You can get counseling all you want to, but nothing can do what the presence of God can do. Nothing can do in a church what the presence of God can do. I don't care how good your preacher can preach. I don't care how nice your building is. I don't care if you come out with the newest program from wherever. More than we need another program, another preacher, another sermon, another song to tickle our ears. We need the presence of God back in our churches. We cannot do it apart from God's presence. It's just the desperate need of God's presence. I'm going to ask you two questions and we're going to wrap up. Can you lose the presence of God? I'm talking about the manifest presence. Yes. Now, you know, I believe in eternal security. I believe once you're a child of God, you can never unbe a child of God. But then you can sure lose his presence. We saw in Psalm 51, David said, restore to me the joy of your salvation and send your Holy Spirit back to me. Obviously, you can lose the presence of God. Here's the hard question. <clears throat> Can you lose the presence of God and not know you lost it? Yes. Yes. I want to quote again from Revelation chapter 3. To the church, you say, I am rich, increased with goods, and don't need anything, but you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. How could the church be saying, We are doing so good, and Jesus say, You're poor, you don't have anything to give anybody? Yes, that can happen. Uh, one of the great passages, Luke chapter 2, verses 43, 44 through 46. Joseph and Mary had been to the temple for the celebration. Jesus was 12 years old. They started back home, assuming he was in their company. And they went three days and they realized Jesus is not here with us anymore. And the Bible said they turned around and they went back to where they lost him and they found him. His own mom and dad went three days. They were still related to him. They still loved him but he was not there. But you know what they did? Instead of going three days without the presence, when they realized, you know, God, God's not here anymore. They didn't say, oh, well, we're still related to him. We're st we still love him. Let's just keep on going. We got somewhere to be. You know what they did? They did one of the smartest things. They said, let's turn around and go back and find out where we lost God at. And they turned around, they went back and they found him. And then they traveled together. In my humble opinion, the saddest verse in all the Bibles is in the book of Judges. 
God's people were getting pummeled by their enemies. And God raised up a man by the name of Samson. And in Judges chapter 16, the Bible said she had a son and God smiled on him and God put his spirit upon him. And the spirit of God came upon Samson and Samson began to deliver the people of God and do great things. But he did it because God's spirit was on him. Samson's known as the strong man of the Bible. It was because God's presence was on him. All right, on over into Judges chapter 16, Samson began to take the power and presence of God for granted and began to get cute. And he began to play loose with sin. He didn't make a mistake. He, he, got a, he got a slothful attitude and he didn't respect God. And the Bible said, you know what happened? That the enemy camp hit their place and his Delilah woke him up and said, the enemy is here. And Samson said, I will arise and deliver us. This is verse 20, uh, Judges 16, 20. I will arise and deliver us. Listen to the rest of the verse. But he did not know that the spirit of God had left him. Saddest verse in all the Bible. And because the spirit of God had left him, verse 21 says, his enemies took him. They bound him. They poked his eyes out and they made him a grinder in their prison. Isn't that exactly what happens? When people lose the touch of God, they end up in bondage to different things. They lose their spiritual vision and they end up just grinding life out. And uh, it was sad that he lost the power of God and didn't know it. Then as the American church has lost the touch of God has lost the power and presence of God. Well, all right, can I ask you, I know I said I was going to quit. Can I ask one more question? I'm going to. Can you recover the presence of God when you lose it? Amen. Amen. I had to say all that just to say this one thing. When you realize God is not with you, you can go back and find him. Just like his mom and dad did. Let me quote to you from Judges uh, 1628. Samson was locked in the prison. One day they had the annual celebration of Dagon, which was the God that the Philistines, these foreign people worshiped. They had a huge temple and the Bible said they were all in this huge, it looked like Zeus temple and 3000 people were in the balcony. Some people said it had 3000 in it. No, the Bible said it was full of people. There were 3000 leaders just in the balcony, which is much bigger than this building. And they said, bring Samson out and let's have some fun. So they brought him out powerless because God's spirit had left him. And that right, like right here where this pulpit is, there were two main pillars holding it up. And he was chained between those two pillars and they mocked him. And the Bible said, verse 28, Samson said, Oh Lord God, please hear my prayer and remember me just one time. I humble myself. Give me back my strength that I might avenge against the Philistines. And the Bible said, because he humbled himself and prayed, God's spirit came back on him. He put his hands on those two pillars and he pushed them completely out. The building and the whole temple collapsed and killed everybody in it. And, he brought that, and that crushed that nation, killed all their leaders. All through the Bible, you see places where people would just humble themselves. God's presence would come back to them and his spirit, if they would realize it. That's why he said in Revelation 3.20, right after he said, you are blind and naked and miserable and you don't seem to know it. What did he say next? but I'm still standing at the door knocking. If you'll open the door, I'll come in and I'll do great things for you. And do as we need a constant, constant touch of revival in our lives. Let me quit by saying something. I've been pastor 20 years in February and uh, this church knew the presence of God when I first came here. For several years when I was first here, this church knew the touch of God on it. The presence of God was so strong in this church. I, I could tell you miracle after miracle that just ha if people just got in the building, things happened. There was a joy in this place and the presence of God was in this place. I don't play church games. I don't need a job anymore. But somewhere along the way, we have lost the touch of God that we used to have on this place. Well, that's sad. But you know what the good news is? If my people, which are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray and turn, I'd come back. I, live, I don't live to be a preacher, to have a big church. To, I don't live to do anything. I live for the presence of God. I love the presence of God. I get up every morning looking forward to visiting with him. I've learned how to sit with him for hours at a time. I live to be in the presence of God. And you know, somebody as mean and dumb and screwed up as I am, I have to have his presence to live. Some of you'd be all right without him. People like me have got to have the touch of God to make it. I'm not being cute either. I long for the presence of God. You say, well, don't you have enough coming now? 
Enough what? I look at these teenagers over here and I see where they're headed. I can't teach them. They can't teach them. Only God can save them. Only God can turn their little misguided arrows in the right direction. I look at the hurting that sits in this room on Sunday morning. Only God can heal broken hearts. I look at this city so screwed up. Why can God not use this place to heal this city? There's no program that'll do it. There's no preacher that can do it. Only God's presence can do it. I want you to join me in praying that in the next while, God would touch this house. That his presence would come to this place with great power. And uh, I want everybody to know what it's like to be touched by God. I want everybody to know what it's like to experience his presence and his sweetness and to know the joy of Jesus in the house. Lord Jesus, I love you and praise you and thank you for your goodness. Times when we're together and I'm praying and I think I've lived my life. I've been blessed. I've got the greatest sweetheart. I've got, my kids are grown and I get so close to you and I say, dear Jesus, just why not today? Why not today? Can't you just take me where you are? Either come where I am or take me where you are. I long for the presence of God. I, 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 I need thee every hour. I want people to know what it's like to experience you. I can't talk it into people. No song can get it over to them. Only you can show people who you are. People need you. The things we're dealing with today, counseling's not helping much. Fussing's not helping. Trying's not helping. You're the only one that can save lives and families and lands. We need you like we've never needed you before in our personal lives. Lord Jesus, I just look around at the emptiness and the poking through the day and the going through the motions and the, the, the dissatisfaction. Where is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Where's the presence of God that we need so desperately? And I pray for this house. You know, I've told you, I'd give my life for the presence of God. I'd give my life for people to know you personally. But you're the only one that can do it. I, I can't do it. But I've got one great tool, and that is prayer. To cry out to you and call on you. I pray you'd put it on this church's heart to experience a great outpouring of your spirit and your presence. And to, Lord Jesus, I, I know, you know, remember a minute ago when I said that about three and a half hours in church, I saw some of them cock their eyebrows. That just means they ain't never been in you. I pray you'd do that in this house. Oh, Jesus, I've seen people run out of church services, get in their cars, go get their friends and bring them back to the building and watch their lives changed just because you were in the building. I miss those days. I miss that kind of stuff. I miss the great transforming power of God in our churches where we didn't even, have to, we didn't even plan our services. We just showed up and you took over. We're pretty good at planning now. But more than we need anything on this earth, we need you. People need you. Oh, Jesus, my time's up. I need to quit praying. I love you but I pray you'd put it on the heart of this church to pray for your presence. Let this be the place in this city where people can come and find healing for their hearts, their dreams, their families, their lives. Let this be the, you told me you would open rivers in the desert. Let this be the place. I trust you for that. Thank you for hearing our prayers tonight. Thank you for being good to us. Thank you that a father longs to be with his children and manifest glory. I trust you for that. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.